Let's head to Ukraine now, where authorities say they believe about 300 people were killed in that Russian airstrike last week on that theater in Mariupol where people were sheltering from the attacks. It would make it the deadliest attack on civilians yet in this war. And the bloodshed in that city is fueling allegations that Moscow has committed war crimes by killing civilians, whether deliberately or by indiscriminate fire. Another constant target for Russia has been Ukrainian's second largest city, Kharkiv, just 40 kilometers from the Russian border. The population was about 1.5 million before the war. It's much less than that now. Hundreds of thousands have fled as Russia's targeted the very places where locals live, work, shop, play. The city's downtown has been completely scarred by war, demolished by airstrikes and cruise missiles. Still, every single day, Maria Avdieva leaves her home and heads out to document the destruction on her phone and do report. She's essentially become a correspondent in her hometown trying to show the world what's going on. It's an act of defiance as well as an act of documentation. Here's what she has to say. Hi there, this is Maria Avdieva from Kharkiv, Ukraine. And I am today in a very symbolic place, heart of Kharkiv, Kharkiv city center. And behind myself, you see the monument, which is called Flying Independence, with Ukrainian flag on it. Every day she does that, despite the shelling, despite the danger. Every day she walks out and does that. We wanted to know more, so we asked her to talk to us. Maria Avdieva joins me now from Kharkiv. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Thank you. It's my pleasure, as always. You know, it's. I was looking back, it's been more than a month now that you've been documenting what's been happening in Kharkiv. And I was wondering, as you look back at your videos, what you've seen change, how much the city has changed uh, and, and how it feels to walk through the city now. Well, it's not getting better. Uh, it, on the contrary, uh, the situation worsens and uh, I'm now working not alone, but with a, with a team. So it, it, we, it's uh, four of us uh, that uh, go uh, out and uh, uh, to document Russian war crimes. And that means that I can see more now because before that I was uh, uh, also working. Uh, that, that means that I was able to get to the places where I could actually in the walking distance. But now yeah. I have a possibility to go around the city. That means I see more destruction more people suffering and more places of the shelling. And uh, Russia intensified shelling uh, for the, the, the previous, the next, uh, sorry, Russia intensified shelling uh, throughout the, the previous several days. And uh, that means it doesn't stop almost never. And uh, it's especially active in the morning but then also in the night, during the night, and then uh, people in the morning will go out and see what what else has happened. And this is, uh, you do not feel safe outside because uh, recently there were some very dramatic uh, moments when people were staying in queues uh, in front of the centers uh, distributing humanitarian aid, and they were attacked just right there. So the line of people staying uh, in front of the this center of humanitarian aid, and I was at this place yesterday, seeing uh, the uh, the results of of this attack, and six people were killed just on the spot. So of right. course it's hard to see, and it, it's hard to 
to grasp, to understand that Russia is now deliberately targeting civilians when they are outside, when they are most vulnerable, to get, trying to get food or humanitarian aid or hiding somewhere. So the situation is difficult in, in this sense. Yeah, I, I saw the the images that you posted, or at least you you posted something about uh, on on social media about the attack on that on that line of people waiting for food. Have you witnessed? I mean, this has been this we saw this happening in Mariupol. This idea of laying a city under siege and then preventing people from from even being able to get food and water and the things that they need. I mean, this is clearly something you could never have imagined this happening in your city. Absolutely, yes. It's something unimaginable that is happening. The situation is different from Mariupol. Kharkiv is much more larger. It is the, the second largest city in Ukraine. And though uh, many people have left, there are still many inside the city. And Russia didn't manage to get it encircled. The Russian troops are still only on the north and northeast of Kharkiv, and they do not advance. They cannot do any progress uh, on the uh, on the ground because they are uh, effectively fought back with the Ukrainian military troops. But that means that Russia is now more and more terrorizing civilian population by uh, using uh, more shelling. Uh, more bombardments, uh, more uh, ballistic rocket strikes. Yesterday there was a strike from the Black Sea. Imagine where it is wow. it, and then yeah. from the Black Sea to Kharkiv, to one of the buildings in the uh, Kharkiv city center by the ballistic missile. So uh, that means that Russia is targeting now and the city from the sky, not not advancing on on the underground operation, and that means that for civilians the situation is getting more and more dangerous. I was going to say, it's been a mo- more than a month now. It must be very difficult for you even, I know how committed you are to documenting what's happening, but it must be difficult for you to get through every day when you don't probably don't sleep properly, you're probably not eating properly. Uh, after a while, it, it's, it really does start to take its toll. Do you, how do you find the strength to go out every day? Yes, it's uh, it's difficult, and uh, I sometimes I do feel exhausted because of the uh, sleep deprivation. I usually sleep four or five hours a day the last month, but then, um, well, I I speak a, a lot with military, uh, and th- these are people on the front line who are all this time sleeping, you know, somewhere in in the fields with their weapons and sleep having possibility to sleep one two hours uh, between the shellings and uh, well then i understand that i am in much more better situation than they are and there is no time to complain uh, for myself and uh, i try to get as much rest or as possible because then i understand that uh, by doing this i can work more so i can like, actually um help more and uh, be more effective uh, but uh, of course uh, there, there are more people out there uh, ukrainian military territorial defense who are doing uh, just um, um, for heroes real heroes of this war and uh, well who are every minute uh, in this uh, poss- poss- possible possibility of uh, being killed by another uh, rocket or strike so uh, i think that i have to do what is possible and work as hard as I only can to help in in this information battlefield. You did. Um, you have been chronicling 
the way that people in your city are living these days. One of the most interesting ones, of course, and there are many of the reports that you've done, these these things that you do each day when you walk out or when now when you drive out. Uh, one of them was the subway system, which I gather had been built originally in a way to protect the population from a U.S. nuclear attack, but is now being used by people in Kharkiv to protect them from Russian bombs. Yes, exactly. I have uh, had some chances to go to the uh, to the underground and speak to people, and today was there as well. So they are they are living there for more than a month now. Uh, because either they don't have a possibility to go home because there is no home left because everything was destroyed or they don't have any heat and electricity and water or they sometimes are afraid because I have met the girl with a baby boy that is uh, living uh, in the uh, in the underground for these four weeks. She says that uh, she is afraid for her baby to go home and that's why she is staying there. So uh, I haven't I have never thought that you know this this uh, uh, metro stations that were in fact built uh, with uh, having in mind bearing in mind that the nuclear war could happen and they will be used to protect people from a nuclear strike will now be used uh, by Ukrainians uh, to hide from Russian strikes and Russia is uh, very close to 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 Kharkiv it's only 40 kilometers away and Kharkiv is Russian-speaking city, so actually these are the, our neighbors speaking the same language as we do came here to, to kill us. This is something that it, you cannot, unthinkable, unbelievable, and it is happening here, and that is what most people say. But also they do say, everyone says here that we will win. That is the general feeling outside. And Maria, you do have one of those flags, I think, behind you. You didn't have it last time we spoke. Yeah. I, I know listeners can't see us, but I can see Maria, and she has a, a yeah, Ukrainian yeah. flag behind her now, made by those same yes, that, that's volunteers. It, yes. Yeah. Um, why don't we come back? We'll talk a bit more about uh, Maria did a very, I would call it, optimistic video today, um, just about a symbol in the town square of Kharkiv or the city square, one of the more important symbols, flying freedom and why there is still cause for optimism amid so much destruction over the last month. We'll be back with that. I'm speaking with Maria Avdieva, who is in Kharkiv. She spent the last month documenting uh, every day, sets out with uh, with her camera. She used to do it on her own on foot. She now does it with the help of a small team where they get to see more of what's happened to this very large city, Ukraine's second largest city, a population before the invasion of 1.5 million, uh, and has documented the destruction and and what people are going through since the beginning of this for over a month now, and really has created almost it's almost like a, a chronicle now of what's happened to Kharkiv and the people of the city. Maria, how do you choose where to go each day? Uh, it's, it's usually uh, very uh, comes up in the morning uh, because I start my uh, every morning from looking into the lo- local uh, publics, local social media groups, trying to get uh, understanding on what was happened during the night because it is completely dark in the night and you can only hear the, the, the sounds of shelling somewhere and the sounds of explosions that you do not actually understand where is it happening. So then I will go to these groups to understand in, in w- w- what place was targeted and uh, what has happened and then uh, decide based on that. Uh, or probably uh, it will be just, uh, I will feel that uh, today I... I 
well, I would like to, to speak more about our unity, our uh, feeling of Ukrainians united, uh, how we want to win. And that that's the, that day I will probably go to some place where, where symbolic, which is symbolic for Kharkiv. I today posted that uh, video you you to, you told you talked about, but then I also was to another place. Didn't put it on Twitter yet. Uh, so this is the monument of Taras Shevchenko, the right. uh, oh. well, the prominent uh, Ukrainian poet, and the, this his uh, monument is in the Central Park, which is very symbolic place. And he was also the statue, the the monument was fortified with the sandbags. And uh, this is something unbelievable. You know, this huge monument all encircled, all you know, covered with sandbags to protect the monument from the possible attack. And I understand that, you know, there are also other needs in the city, but people do want to protect the monument, the symbol, uh, the symbolical place. And uh, when while I was there, a woman with her two children came from a nearby house and she asked people working uh, there, like putting the sand around the monument, if they could help them to do that because they want to protect yeah. uh, protect it. So you're still, I mean, clearly you're still seeing a lot of unity within the city too. There was one thing you posted this week that was very, that was heartbreaking, honestly, was a story about Ser, Sergei Ivanchuk, who was a, a volunteer from Kharkiv, and he'd been in Italy studying to be an opera singer, and he'd been shot, and he was singing in your video. And I, it, it was amazing to see that, that spirit still alive, I think. Uh, how touching or how emotional was that for you to, to meet Sergei? Yeah, that was really emotional. And also his mom was there and speaking to her. Uh, also, she, she burst into tears. And uh, well, while Sergei was telling me how he got wounded because he was bringing humanitarian aid to people. And that is what is most important now under this constant challenge. It is very difficult to bring uh, help to people because you while you are driving and that is what's happened what happened to him while you are driving in a car you become a target for uh, for a strike or for a, uh, so you can be uh, and uh, he was shot in, in, in different so in, uh, multiple times and his lung uh, was wounded and that is why he was worried if he would be able to sing again because he also he was volunteering, bringing humanitarian aid, but another part of it is he was singing before the war to collect money for uh, for Ukrainian military, and he wanted to return back after the war to his singing. And the, well, and, and at the end, he told me that uh, he wants to get well soon to get back and help people. That was, that was what I was going to ask you. You described a situation of how dangerous it is to drive around, to walk around, to be outside, but you do that every day. And I'm wondering how much longer do you think you're going to do it for? Well, uh, it, it is it is it is getting more dangerous uh, because, uh, as I told you, the challenge goes, uh, well, intensified and you never know where it will happen next. That is the most dangerous part. So it's not like you will be warned that that is coming. It will just happen out of nowhere. So, um, yes, it, 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 is, it is risky. But then uh, I also understand that it is important. So I try to 
find this balance between you know um, not making uh, unnecessary risk and then being able to tell the story of the city which is uh, going through this uh, through this war because what I see on the street this is really some historical monuments which I want to you know other people to see because uh, I haven't I, I didn't even imagine this happening and I have now the possibility to witness that and that's why I want to share what I see but you've managed to stay optimistic I saw that in your video today about about the flying freedom uh, obviously we'll see it in a video later with, with the statue of Taras Shevchenko uh, Ukraine's national poet um, you're staying optimistic and, and, and that must that must help yeah, absolutely. That's well, that's what my spirit is about because I speak to so many people who are on the front line who are you know, combating every day with this aggression and all of them are optimistic. No no one you know, is uh, complaining. They all just want, uh, they understand that we must work together to, to make this victory uh, sooner, uh, so to make Ukraine win sooner and that is uh, what I am determined to do as well. So uh, uh, and we see that the morale uh, in Ukrainian troops, in Ukrainian military is so high. We see people, you know, singing uh, uh, Ukrainian anthem uh, in un- for those who are there for uh, four weeks now. And the people, uh, ch- children uh, drawing uh, the, uh, dr- the, making drawings for, for soldiers on the forefront. And uh, generally speaking to the children is uh, something, well, that is so heartbreaking and at the same time you understand that you have to do everything to protect these children because what they tell you this is uh this is something that shouldn't be happening and uh, i think i feel very determined to do anything i can to stop this as soon as possible maria abdieva as always thank you thank you ben it was my pleasure